the treasures found there. And thank you that as those land in our hearts, we will never be the same. May we go through this not just as some words on a page, but to really encounter the life that is found in the prayer that you left with your disciples. Give me wisdom to share what's on your heart. And speak to us, Holy Spirit, as we try to encounter the face of the Father as revealed through the Lord's Prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we talked about those four words. We spent 40 minutes talking about four words. Our Father in heaven. And we talked briefly about how Jesus wants us to begin in our prayer closet, in our storeroom, in our pantry. He says, begin with the word our. Even though you're alone, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're a part of a family. You're connected to something bigger. You have brothers and sisters that you're a part of. And you have this father that doesn't want to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Jehovah Rapha, or all these different names. He says, no, just call him Father, when you don't know what to say, you don't know how to name him, you don't know how to address him, just say, Daddy, Abba, Daddy. It was the first word that someone, a little child in Jesus' day would learn, a word of intimacy and familiarity, and he says, just pray this, our Daddy, who's in heaven, and our translation of that was, our Daddy who knows what's coming around the corner, who sees what's coming and has eternal perspective. Pray that way. And then Jesus gives us this other line that we use all the time in our language. Hallowed be your name. I had no idea what this meant. <laughs> I don't talk about Halloween things very often. I was like, does that have to do with Halloween? Does that have to do with, I had no idea. So I went and I looked at all these different English translations. Almost all of them say something similar. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. And I'm like, okay, what really is at the heart of that? And it was confusing and it was rich and there was a lot. Let me give you a few different translations that didn't use that same exact phrase. From the CEB, which I think is the Common English Bible, they translate it, uphold the holiness of your name. From the CEV, the Contemporary English Version, help us to honor your name. It's starting to be a little helpful, right? From the ERV, you ready for what the ERV stands for? The easy to read version. <laughs> My new favorite translation. What does that mean? We pray that your name will always be kept holy. And a gentleman named Kenneth Bailey, who you've heard me talk about sometimes, he has lived in the Middle East for about 50 years. He's fluent in six or seven Middle Eastern languages. Currently lives in Egypt. His translation of Hallowed Be Thy Name is simply, Demonstrate Your Holiness. What on earth does that mean, though? Like, those are great translations, but what does that really mean? What is it about the name, and what does it mean for God to make God's name holy? 
How many of you, when you think of holiness, you think of things like, and we might be speaking to different generations here, but you think about things like not playing cards or not dancing or um, not drinking. Um, what are some more contemporary understandings of, of holy? When we think of holiness, what do we think of? How many usually have a knot in front of it? <laughs> not what? Torah. Don't take his name in vain. Ooh, we're going to talk about that. Spoiler alert. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> she's tracking. Our Father. Um, yeah, but we think about holiness in terms of all these things we don't do, right? Or we think of God's holiness as, how many of you think of God's moral perfection? God's inability to sin. God's inability to make moral choices that are, well, I guess to make immoral choices, I should say. So here's a question for you. Was God holy before sin was in the world? Because didn't sin enter the world through Adam and Eve in the garden? Chris, are you seriously getting that theological on us at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Was God holy before sin entered the picture? Interesting. So does that mean that holiness has to be fundamentally about something beyond just not being able to sin? Let's talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. Just think about it later. We're not going to fully go into that. But we have this view of holiness that I think is about this big. And yet Jesus is telling this Father who is bigger than this, may your name be made holy. So maybe there's a different way of talking about holiness that Jesus is wanting to open up for us. And maybe, what's with this name thing? What does that have to do with God's name as well? For the people of the Bible, and I'm making a broad sweeping generalization, for people of the Bible, the name had very little to do with being called something. Christopher, Philip, Phala. It actually represented and stood for and portrayed their whole personhood, their whole being, their essence. And so Jesus is saying, pray this, our Father who's in heaven, may your name, may your reputation, may your personhood be made holy. But isn't it already holy? Isn't that like Jesus saying, pray that the fire will be made hot. Pray that the water will be made wet. What is Jesus getting at? What's behind this? Pray that his name will be made holy. That's why I think that Mr. Bailey here at the bottom is getting to the core of things when he says, we're essentially praying, Father, demonstrate your holiness. Show us what you're like. Show us that you're not like these other gods. Um, we're going to go into some some passages that you probably read all the time in your quiet times. Um, we're going to spend some time, a few minutes in Ezekiel, and then in Exodus, and uh, I think that's all. But this is interesting. This is what God says about demonstrating, the Father says about his own holiness. Ezekiel 20, 41 and 42. As a pleasing odor, which is a reference to the sacrificial system, which we're going to talk about more next week. Well, actually, we'll talk about it in a minute, too. As a pleasing odor, I will accept you, God says to the Israelites, when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. 
and I will manifest my holiness. In other words, I will demonstrate my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. You shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your ancestors. So in this passage in Ezekiel, what is God saying it looks like for the Father to reveal His holiness? Does it look like Him not playing cards? Does it look like Him not looking at that website? It looks like the Father rescuing Israel from oppression from setting them free from the things that are holding them back, the things that are stopping them from entering into all that God has for them. Is that interesting to anybody else but me? That for them, God's holiness was expressed in God's ability to come and rescue His people, to come and hear their cry and set them free and bring them into a place of goodness and freedom and life and abundance. Could that be what God's holiness is about? Going back to when we think about holiness, see often, even with us, growing up in church I heard all the time, you know, God wants you to be holy because God is holy. And, and I thought that was always about don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. But holiness, biblically, is so much more about what we're set apart for than what we're set apart from. Holiness simply means at its core to be set apart, to be unique, to be distinguished. And it's so much more about what we're set apart for, what we represent, what we give ourselves to, than it is what we say no to and what we're set apart from. Now, I'm sure there's nothing to say about how the church would be portrayed in the world if the church would kind of redefine ourselves based on what we're for instead of what we're against. Um, I'm not even going to say anything about that because that's, not, that's a non-issue. But, but this is Jesus' way and the Father here is saying, look it, I will demonstrate by holiness by showing you that I am the kind of God that listens to your cry for help and I meet you in that and I bring you to a place of goodness. That's what my holiness looks like. Everything that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer ultimately echoes back to the Exodus. I'm reading through Exodus right now. And I love how the story of the Exodus really begins by it saying, and God heard the cries of His people and responded. Because we're looking at this passage, the Lord's Prayer saying, what does it show us about the Father? It shows us this is the kind of Father that hears our cries that hears our longings, that sees our anguish, and responds to bring us into a good place. How many of you had earthly fathers like that? How many of you had earthly fathers that you wish you could have gotten more response? How many of you, your earthly father was a mixed bag? <laughs> sometimes there and sometimes not. But Jesus is saying, this is the kind of father that God is, the God that hears and responds and is attentive and brings you to a place of goodness. This is where my head... Alright, let me just say this real quick. I think essentially one of the things, before I get too far ahead of myself, 
one of the things that's going on, one of the layers in this passage, hallowed be thy name, is it's a cry for God to show how this God, this Father, is distinct from other gods. And there's a story I found out. Remember when we talked about the sacrificial system? The story of Abraham and Isaac? And how God, the God of Abraham, comes and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac that I promised you and you waited 90-something years to have, and it was a miracle. I want you to take him and I want you to put him on an altar and sacrifice him to me. You all know the story. And we notice that Abraham never says why, because Abraham was used to God's and wanted sacrifices that way. Abraham never says how, because he had seen it happen. And yet we find that as soon as Abraham is about to bring the knife over his son Isaac, God speaks and says, stop. And if you look in your Bible, it's Genesis 22, I believe. If you look in your Bible, there will probably be a heading over the chapter that says, The Faith of Abraham horrible title for the chapter because that's not what it's about at all. It's not at all about the faith of Abraham. It's about God saying, look, Abraham, I'm about to show you I'm not like these other gods. I am nothing like these other gods that demand sacrifice, that demand your children, that demand everything from you. I am the kind of God that can provide for myself. And yes, I'll allow you to participate but only so much, and only to your benefit, not your detriment. The story of the Old Testament is really the story of God saying, this is the kind of God I am. Now, look at this story real quick. This, is, this could almost be funny. If it, was, if it wasn't in the Bible, I think it'd be funny. That was a joke, okay? It's okay for the Bible to be funny every once in a while. So 1 Samuel 5. Look at this story, and then I'll show you a picture, a painting that somebody did of this. Imagine this. This is the, the Israelites and the Philistines going to war as happened every once in a while in the Old Testament. They're going to war, and the Philistines, who were like these huge people, like they would make, Nathan would have to look up to them, right? Greg would be like, whoa, hi there, sir. These huge, huge people. And they, the Israelites go to battle with them. The Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, which was the expression, the manifestation, the, the kind of the symbol, and actually the carrier of, of the presence of God in their midst. The Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, and it says they take the Ark of God, they bring it back from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and placed it besides Dagon, which was this statue, was one of their gods. Are you, are you familiar with this story? This is funny. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, so the Philistines go in and they go to see what happened as they put the Ark of the Covenant in this place with their god, Dagon. It says that when they rose early the next day, there was Dagon, the statue, fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And they're like, that's weird. Somebody's doing some vandalism. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. They picked the statue up and they put it back on the pedestal. And then it says the next morning, they rose early the next morning And they come in, and Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and his head fell off, and his hands fell off. And it says only his trunk of A, that was just because the program was easy, but, and so it's just the body of the statue left there. This is a picture somebody painted of this. I don't think it's a real photograph somebody took. You can judge for yourself, but... 
Isn't that kind of awesome? This is God's way of saying, look it, even their statues can't resist bowing down to me. They lose their heads around me. They can't even contain themselves. They fall in front of me. There's an image of what we're praying when we say, hallowed be thy name. Would you show us that you're not like the other gods? Would you show us that you're something, someone different? That you're unique? That all these gods have nothing on you? So there's that layer. And then I need another about 45 minutes to go into the next layer. Um, you guys, can you guys just real quick cancel what's on your calendar from noon on? I'm just kidding. I only need like 43. So that's one layer is, Father, show us that you're not like these other gods. And here's the next layer. God says this again, Ezekiel 36. I will sanctify my great name. In other words, I will make my name holy, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. In other words, speaking to the Israelites, you have not represented me well. The nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when through you I display my holiness before their eyes. Now this is where we start to squirm a little bit. At least where I start to squirm. Because it's easy to say, God, make your name holy. You do all the work. <laughs> Go ahead, have fun. Go ahead and show everybody how good you are. And then we have to serve this God that's Father, Son, and Spirit that absolutely insists on our participation in revealing God's goodness to the world. And that's when things get really awkward and clunky and religious or uncomfortable or challenging or stretching. I know none of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've never felt like there was something broken in you that needed fixing, right? You've never felt like you're like, wow, God, I'm glad that I'm not your main PR person because you would be hosed. God says, look it, through you I will hallow my name. Through you I will show people who I am. Awkward. See, that's actually at the core let me, my little brother one time, he just started going to youth group. This is my little brother that always knows the answer. Ever since he was like six years old, he always has the answer. Um, he was the one that came home from school one day, and my other brother said, so Blake, what did you learn in school today? And he goes, nothing, I'm too smart for my school. <laughs> he really is. Um, but I was asking him what he was learning in youth group. I was like, so what, you know, what are they teaching you? And He's like, well, you know, I'm learning things like, like how to stand up for Jesus. I'm like, okay, that's fun. Um, what does that mean? And he goes, well, you know, like, like when someone I'm hanging out with, when, when they take God's name in vain, when they say, like, Jesus Christ, or, oh, my God. Did you just say, oh, my God, Jesus? But he's like, you know, learning to stand up for God. And so when somebody says something like that, I'm learning to just, like, speak up and be like, hey, please don't take God's name in vain. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's adorable. <laughs> and so I couldn't resist because he's that little brother that's always too smart. I had to play with him a little bit. And I was like, oh, so 
you're basing that on the Ten Commandments, right? The, the commandment that says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And he's like, yeah, that's what it comes from. And I was like, well, so have you thought about, did you know what that verse really means? I said, really what God is saying when he says, don't take my name in vain is, don't misrepresent me to the world. That's what it means to truly take the Lord's name in vain is to misrepresent God and God's character to the world. And so I said, has it ever occurred to you that just possibly by you going out and telling people not to take the Lord's name in vain, you are taking the Lord's name in vain by representing a judgmental Christian that doesn't care to actually meet them where they're at and hear their story? And, where they're... and he just looked at me like I had a third eye, which never happens to me because everybody always understands everything I say. But, but we don't understand often that really this has nothing to do with, oh my God. Versus, oh my gosh, which, what does that even mean, right? <laughs> There's a message embedded in there somewhere. <laughs> oh my gosh. But Exodus, don't take the Lord's name in vain, is literally God is saying, don't misrepresent me to the world. It goes back to Genesis 1. Father, Son, and Spirit having a conversation among themselves saying, let us make humans in our image. What does an image do? An image is a projection of something. It's a portrayal of something. We are the face of God to the world. I'm so sorry to tell you that because that's a lot of pressure. Good thing for Jesus. But he says, this is what you're invited to do, is to be my image to the world. How many of you guys hate that, to be honest? How many of you guys are like, uh, that hurts? That's not fun. But God says, look it, this is how I choose to operate. Is I want people to see my goodness through you. Have you ever been around a healthy family and it's almost like a transcendent experience? Have you ever been just around this family that they truly, deeply love one another? And you're like, I want to experience more of that. What is that? That's God demonstrating God's holiness. Have you ever been around a little kid that's just absolutely delighting in something that you're like, okay, I would never have stopped to take another look at that. Yet they're so full of wonder and curiosity that it kind of stops you in your tracks. And all of a sudden, you're caught up into the wonder that they're experiencing. Hmm. Could that be them making God's name holy? Next week, we're going to talk about this loaded line, the next, well, two lines. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yowzers. And one of the questions, one of the things we're going to look at is, how do we know what God's will is? What does that even mean? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the things that Paul tells us, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. Why? What does that mean? Sanctification theologically, as we know, is the process of God taking us and making us more of a reflection of God's character. Can I give you my translation of sanctification? Putting us back together. 
Sanctification is the process of God putting us back together so that there is less contamination and less brokenness, less distortion for the image of God to come through our lives to the world. I will take more of that. Don't say anything. I know what you're thinking. That's what I believe sanctification is, and that's what I believe we're praying when we pray, hallowed be your name. It's a request, a longing for transformation, for God to put us back together to be a more accurate reflection of God's goodness, beauty, love, justice, mercy, hope, joy, delight, goodness, abundance, energy, God says, I created you to be a conduit, a channel of all of my goodness. And when you pray, hallowed be thy name, you're saying, sign me up to be a more accurate reflection of you. I have a story I want to tell you, but it, I kind of, I kind of don't want to tell you because I feel like I saturate so many Sunday mornings with stories of Nathan. And I don't want to put so much pressure on him. The reason I was thinking about this story, so really quick, and then I'm going to give you what I think is the best translation of Hallowed Be Thy Name, and then we're going to have Nathan come back up. But. So Sarah and I, we entered into and escaped the terrible twos. What, two nights ago? Today's what, the 21st, right? So February 19th, some of you saw the email, February 19th, Nathan turned two. Sarah and I, we celebrated his birthday Thursday night, so that was a Friday, and then we happened to have the national director of Vineyard and his wife come into town on that same night, and they got us a hotel room. So Sarah and I had our first night away, her first night away from Nathan in his life on his second birthday. And he turned to, and so for me, I'm, I'm entering back in. I had to go up to the ski hill yesterday, which was a horrible thing for someone to make you do, but um, I was forced to go snowboarding yesterday. So when I got home this morning, I, I checked in with Nathan because I'm like, I missed his birthday. He's a two-year-old now. A lot has happened. Why am I telling this story? Because God has included us and wired us to be a reflection of God's goodness. That's why. And so this is what happened. I'm thinking, I've just been gone from Nathan for a day and a half, two days. He's had a lot happen. He doesn't like when I leave. Usually when I leave, I come home and he takes a little while to kind of like open back up to me. Huh? He'll kind of snub me a little bit. And so this morning, he's seen me for about 10 minutes and I'm on my way out the door to go get everything set up for this morning. And he comes downstairs. He's trying to get something out of the freezer. And I'm like, okay, bud, I have to go to work. I'll see you in a little bit. He walks over to me and he just like puts his hands around my knees and gives me a little hug. And then he walks back over to the freezer. And I'm like, 
okay, this is going to be like my easiest exit ever. And then I start walking away, and then he turns and he looks at me again. I'm like, oh no, here it comes. Here's the snub. Here's going to be the, like, the anger. He comes over and he stands on my knees again. He looks up at me and he goes, mm. And so I just knelt down and gave him a little kiss. And then he just turned and walked back to the freezer. I'm like, these are the terrible twos? <laughs> this is amazing. God, give me some of that wholeness that you've given this little boy because I would be so much greater reflection of you to the world if I had his sense of abundance in my life. This is Eugene Peterson's translation of Hallowed Be Thy Name. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Show us what you're really like. Show us the kind of father you are. Are you an affectionate father? Are you a tender father? Are you a strong father? Are you a loving father? Are you a just father? Are you a good father? Show us the kind of father you are and help that whatever it is come through us to the world because the world is longing to see a father that just has even a tiny bit of your goodness. As Nathan makes his way back up, well, you know what? Yeah, go ahead and come on up. Um, we have two minutes, and then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together again. And we're going to realize, we're going to take note, that when we pray this line, we're asking for the transformation and abundance and goodness of God to come and do work on us so that we are more whole as people. You know that the word holy and in English, the word whole, they go together, that they come from the same idea, same term, same concept. So really, when we talk about holiness, we're talking about wholeness. We're talking about becoming whole people. And whole people are set free to do amazingly good things, aren't they? So we're going to keep that in mind, but I just want to ask real quick, who has something that you really feel, maybe something that Lines with this that God's been speaking to you, Torah, is that we have time for about two. Oh, that could have been really. I don't believe in being embarrassed, but that would have been really close. Lead us not into the trial, but deliver us from evil. We'll go there. Jesus gives it to us in layers. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time you've ever done this, Sarah, but your thought triggered a thought in me. Okay, no, it's not. But, so I've been reading a lot lately about health and wholeness and how a human being goes from a place of physical or emotional or mental illness to wholeness. And I've been reading across the spectrum. I've been reading people that are believers and use a lot of scripture to people that would say that God is just an impersonal 
source or force, but what's so interesting is that I think what Jesus is saying is there are actually people in the world that are more aware, not necessarily more aware, there are people in the world aware of this goodness in the world, and Jesus is saying, I want you to be the one that shows the face that it's this God that people are tapping into and finding health and healing and wholeness and goodness coming from. I want you to show them that it's the Father, Son, and Spirit that are behind all that. And I think that's, that relates to me with what you're saying. That there is this force of good in the world and it has a name, it has a face. The face is Jesus and the name is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pamela, you were going to say something and then we're going to... No? Okay. <laughs> Let's do this. Will you... Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Victoria. Let's stand together if you're able to stand. Um, and let's pray again the Lord's Prayer. And what we'll do is, after we pray this, we'll move into a time of worship. And during worship, I'm not going to set too many, I guess, kind of parameters around it or structure to it, but just know that worship and ministry go together in this time. And so if you need prayer for something, maybe you're feeling like, you're like, ooh, you know what? I've been really feeling this concrete piece of brokenness in my life or this there's a lack of wholeness here, and I want prayer for that. Or God's doing some work in this department of my life. I would like prayer for that. Connect with somebody that you trust in here. Hopefully there is someone that qualifies in that way. Connect with someone and get prayer. And maybe you're just looking around and God's putting someone on your heart. And you're just having the sense, wow, God wants to do something for them. And I get to participate. Feel free to go connect with that person. So let's... Let's pray this together, and then we'll just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, yeah, do work on us and in us. Ready? Our Father in heaven. When we, it can get awkward when we talk about holiness and transformation, and it can become this thing that we put pressure on ourselves to feel like we need to become this certain thing. And, and it often throws us back on ourselves and our own resources. But I don't know about you, but I've found that there's not much to pull from there often. And so I wanted to read something to put this all into perspective. And it ties together what Laura shared and what Christy shared and what Nikki shared. And it's in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's all about holiness and all about perfection. And it's about offerings and it's about God's work and it's about Jesus. And I'm just going to read verse 10 of chapter 10. You know what? I'm going to read the first part of verse 9 as well. It says of Jesus, Then he said, Look, Father, I've come to do your will. And then verse 10, it says, We have been made holy by God's will through the offering of Jesus Christ's body once and for all. Past tense. Have been made holy. Have been made whole. 
And in verse 14, because it's kind of one of those just in case you didn't get it the first time. It says, because he... Now this is where I might mess with your brains a little bit when you think about yourself. Because he perfected, past tense, and that's the same Greek word that has to do with wholeness. Because he perfected, past tense, the people who are present continuous tense, being made holy, with one offering for all time. What do I think the author of Hebrews is trying to say? This talk of sanctification, of honoring God's name, is not about us trying to find some resource to become something we're not. It's actually giving expression to who Jesus has already made us to be. Now we know that. But do we know that? And so as we go into this next song, let's have that as the foundation, the framework, the the line of thinking that we're coming out of. That Jesus has not just taken our sin, He's taken our shame, that He's taken our brokenness and replaced it with His wholeness. That He's taken our chaos and replaced it with His shalom. That He's taken our emptiness and filled it with His fullness. I could keep on going. But I think you get the point. So Jesus, as we sing this, as we pray this, would you remind us who we are? Would you help us to see the purity of the water that sometimes gets contaminated? Would you help us to see that it's fundamentally pure because of you? Would you help us to see that we don't need to put a bubble around our lives and hearts to keep you out because you're already in? And the bubble is actually just stopping things from coming out that should come out. So Jesus, would you show us that you have made us whole? And would you help us to give expression to that wholeness through our lives and journey with you? Let faith arise In spite of what I see, Lord, I believe But help my unbelief, I choose to trust you No matter what I feel, let faith arise Let faith arise For my champion's not dead He is alive Oh, and He already knows my every need Surely He will come and rescue me God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through nothing
miracle Let faith arise And see the kingdom come I lift my eyes For the battle has been won My God is faithful And every single word he says is true Oh yes, it's true God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through Nothing's impossible You're the God miracle God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through Nothing's impossible You're the God of miracles You're the God of miracles. Thank you, Lord.